0: Well, we have been having a lot of discussion about gospel-related things. We're in 1 Thessalonians, and we just finished the first chapter. And so far in week one, we talked about uh, defining our life on the gospel. And that's sort of the, the name of this, this whole series, right? Living a life defined by the gospel. And we asked five questions to help you evaluate that. In week two, we talked about gospel effectiveness. Are you living a life... In which the gospel is effective not only in your life, but in which you're making the gospel effective in the lives of those around you. And we asked some more questions about that. Today we're gonna put the questions aside and we're gonna talk directly about what is the gospel. Because we've talked a lot about doing things for the gospel and being defined by the gospel, but we haven't really hit yet what the gospel is. And so before we dive into the second part chapter of of 1 Thessalonians, I want to make sure that we have a discussion about it, that we have a discussion about the gospel, because Paul is diving into that in chapter 2. In chapter 2, we find Paul uh, reminding the Thessalonians how he came to preach the gospel to them, and the things that we can draw out of these next six verses that we're going to cover are monumental in understanding Um, how we can be encouraged in preaching the gospel to others and how we can be uh, strengthened by it. Um, So much so that we're actually going to be calling this this message, like this message is titled, When Preaching to Others. That's what we're going to be really focusing on, when preaching to others. But before we open up the scripture together, like I said, I want to make sure we have a really great understanding of the term gospel of God because in the next few verses, we're going to see Paul use it um, at least four times. We're going to see the term gospel of God come up, and so we need to have a really good understanding of what the gospel is before we talk about how to preach it to others. So let's just start uh, simply. Can somebody tell me what the word gospel means? Anybody shout it out if you know what the definition of the word gospel is, where it comes from. Good Good news. Yeah, exactly. The word gospel means good news, and and like that's a fitting word, right? Because it it is good news. It's the greatest news that has ever been given. It's the greatest news that is ever going to be, ever is, and ever will be on this earth. It is definitely good news. However, like any news, the context of it matters. Let me give you an example. Let's say that you woke up tomorrow morning and you opened up your phone and you got on Facebook or you got on a news site or maybe a friend shared something with you and you see this massive headline that says, Kim is dead, finally. Big bold letters, Kim is dead, exclamation point, finally, exclamation point, exclamation point. And you're like, you're like scrolling down through this and you see all these comments and all these people are like, I'm so glad that Kim is dead. Now I can finally be at peace, like good riddance to Kim. I would hope that right off the bat, you're starting to, to question a few things, right? Because we're talking about a human life here, assuming Kim is a human. And human life is sacred and it's never A good thing to celebrate the death of a human. I pray that you would be shocked at the thought that somebody is celebrating Kim, whoever she is, and and that she is dead. But what if I told you that the night before all this happened it had been discovered that Kim Jong-un, the supreme leader and dictator of North Korea, had been found dead. Even though that may not be news to celebrate, it's still a death of a life. It all of a sudden brings context. And what if I told you that the people that are commenting, like, I can finally be at peace, I'm so glad for my family, I'm so glad that we can finally move on, were people that were directly affected by the leadership of Kim Jong un? See, all of a sudden, the context helps you understand what's going on a lot more. Like I said, it may not be something to celebrate still, but it can at least put you in a place to properly understand why somebody might be celebrating and why the world might be responding that way, correct? Because just like any other news that requires context, we're going to see that the gospel is good news when it's in the right context. And Paul? Paul is always concerned with context when he preaches the gospel. If you don't believe me, you can, like, you can open up the book of Acts. The book of Acts is pretty much just Paul like killing it, do, doing tons of stuff all over the place. It's a really cool book. But over and over again, every single time Paul preaches the gospel, he does it in the context of those that he's around. He does it in the context to help them understand why the good news of God is good news. Paul is mainly concerned with the context of the gospel when he preaches it to somebody. And if Paul's concerned about it, let's be concerned about it too. And so before we dive into 1 Thessalonians, I just want to make sure that we have a great building block, a great starting point to understanding the context of the gospel. right? I just want to have like a very practical moment and this isn't the only way to think about it. This is not the only way to word it. This is not the only way you should learn it, but I just want to give you one example of what it means to have a, a gospel context, right? So the statement that we would normally say the gospel is, and summarize, as most people would say, the gospel is Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ died for your sins, right? and raised again on the third day to give you life." Like that would be the typical like sentence of of what the gospel is, which is good. And I think all of you would agree with that statement that that's what you would understand to be the gospel. But like I said, the context is what we're going for. The context of why Jesus dying on the cross is the good news. How many of you have heard of the story, like the, the publication and video put out by Spread Truth Media? Anybody somewhat familiar with the story? Okay, a few of you, you might recognize it more if you guys have ever seen anybody hand out like bracelets that have like beads that have colors on them that represent like the story of of creation and the fall and things like that, right? So maybe you're starting to understand it a little bit more. I know if you've done any of like the mission trips here, they've done some of that. But the story is just like a great way to start getting your mind wrapped around it. And I just wanna present it to you. Um, It's actually an app that you can download If you just like go on your app store, or or, uh, was it Google Play, is that what it's called on the Android? But anyway, you go there, you uh, type in the story, you'll be able to find it. And on there, there's like several different things. I'd show it to you, but my phone is currently recording, so I can't. But you can watch a video on there that explains the story of redemption. Um, You can actually read through it. Like you can just hit the menu button, click read, and you can actually like glance through it, even while you're talking to somebody, or you can show it to somebody. Um, It's a really cool resource, and it's a simple resource, a simple resource for you to just start getting your mind around how to share the gospel with somebody in its full context. Actually, like for Brittany and I, um, they have a kid's version of the story, and it's what we went through with our oldest daughter, who's seven, seven, yes, seven, who's seven, and um, it's how we led her to Christ. We went over it every day for a week with her until she was really able to understand it. So it's like a great resource, and I'm just going to go over it. It's got four parts, all right? First part is creation. God created the earth, and he created it good. He created everything that we see. It was for his glory, and he deemed it good. The creator of all deemed that what he made was good and pure, and it's exactly as it should be. He also created us, and he created us for a purpose. He created us to glorify him, to be in relationship with him. He created us to be known and to know him. That's the first part, that's creation. But then the second part happens, the fall. We as mankind turn against God. We break his laws. He gave us one job, don't touch the fruit. And we did it anyways, and we defied him, we broke his law, and we did something unholy to the Holy One, and because of that there was punishment. We're no longer in relationship with him. We're no longer able to be with him. We don't want to be with him. We are truly fallen. But God being the good and loving creator that he is, this is the third part, the rescue. He planned and sent Jesus Christ to rescue us because our sin demanded a punishment, a punishment that we could have paid. But instead, God being who he is, loving, decided to pay that for us. Sent Jesus as God in flesh to die on the cross for our sins. And not only just die on the cross for our sins to rescue us but also he was raised to life on the third day to restore us. And that's the fourth part. To restore us to a new life, to a relationship with God, to be with God. And that's why it's good news that Jesus died on the cross. That's why we call it good news that somebody died, because that death represents that we were finally rescued and that we are restored and can finally be with the Creator as his creation. And it's the only way to be with him is to know Jesus and believe in that and to be in relationship with him. So that's the f- four parts, right? Creation, fall, rescue, restoration. You guys, there's a lot more to it. You can dive into it. You can read as much you want. There's scripture references in all of that that you can pop up and reference and study. It's, it's awesome. It's really cool and it's a free resource. Um, But I go over it as a way to just help you see like there is an entire context to the gospel, right? There's so much that we can give people. And that right there should help you speak the gospel to other people. And first and foremost, I pray it helps you understand the gospel more. Like I pray you worship more because of that. And when we sing a song like King of Kings, which we're going to do after this message, that actually talks about the, the story of the gospel. I pray because we talked about it, it means more to you when we worship and that it, you worship God because of it, right? So that's like an aside. That's like, I wanted to start with this because now we're diving into 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 where we're going to see the term gospel of God several times and every single time we see gospel, I want you thinking about that. That is the gospel. That is the good news of God. So we're going to dive into it. Um, There are scripture pages laying around. I sort of spread them out. There's pens. If you see some, a stack, feel free to pass them out. It's like literally a piece of paper with just the scripture on it. Um, I love to encourage you guys to take notes. Some of you have Bibles. Some of you have your phones out. But uh, if you'd like to have the scripture right in front of you and you'd like to mark on it or next to it and put the points I'm giving out, like that's for you to do that. I know there's a, maybe that's a pile right there. Maybe you guys got some, but feel free to grab them, take notes, that's for you. Um, But I want you to see that what I'm saying is directly from the Word, and that I'm not adding to it. So that's, that's the most important thing to me. So as long as you can see in the Scripture what I'm saying, we're golden, all right? So let me pray for us, and we'll actually dive into the Word that I've been talking about so much. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you that we can learned from the Apostle Paul. Thank you that we can see the Thessalonians as a fantastic example, and I pray, Lord, that as I read your word out loud, it would impact our hearts and minds in a way that only you can do. Um, Lord, my impact lasts till the parking lot, but your impact lasts forever, and I ask, Lord, that you impact our hearts tonight, and you change our lives tonight. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we're starting at the very beginning of chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians. We're going to go 1 through 6. I'm going to read it all together, and then we're going to break it down line by line. Paul's reminding the Thessalonians and says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict Of Christ so now that we have a good grasp of the gospel we join Paul as he's reminding the Thessalonians right reminding them of how he came to preach the gospel to them and how he preached the gospel to them and that's why I said we're calling this message when preaching to others because that's the points that we're gonna take when preaching to others and the first one is when preaching to others nothing is wasted when preaching to others nothing is wasted in verse 1, Paul reminds us and reminds the Thessalonians that his coming was not in vain. Meaning, like, it wasn't, for, it wasn't wasted at all. And this is a great reminder for us because so often we walk away from an encounter when we're sharing our testimony or sharing the gospel some, with somebody. Like, we walk away from that and we feel shaky we feel uncertain, right? We constantly wonder, like, did I say the right thing? Did what I I say sound stupid? Like, did I say enough or did I say too much? Like, what if I said the wrong thing and now they hate Jesus and that that was not what I wanted? Like, we so often walk away from those conversations with self-doubt, but Paul reminds us that his work in preaching the gospel was not in vain. And that lines up right with Paul's theology. Paul truly believed and taught, as the Word of God, that what we do in the name of the Lord is never wasted. So when he tells them that his work was not in vain, it, like, it lines up right with what he's told the Corinthians. I mean, he straight up said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15 that uh, they should know that in the Lord... Their labor is never in vain. In the Lord, the work that they do is never in vain. So we should be comforted that when we preach to others, when we share our testimony with others, nothing about that is wasted. Now, it may not be used the way you think it's going to be used. They may not take it the way you think that they are going to take it. You might not see the results that you think you should see. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't use it. We could sit up here and hear story after story from people that know Christ now who came to know Christ because of something someone said to them years ago that finally clicked in them down the road. I mean, that's like, that's a super common thing. I mean, people like Pastor Rob, when he gave his testimony not too long ago, talked about how his Sunday school teacher in like first grade or something like that, like led him to the Lord or told him about the Lord. And then his mom did it later. And it was like starting with that one conversation that months and months and months later finally got him to understand the gospel, right? You never know how it's going to be used. So what we can know for sure is that when preaching to others, absolutely nothing is wasted. That's the comfort in this. We're going to be moving through these pretty quickly, actually. So, verse 2, he says, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. And that brings us to the second point. I'm grabbing this from verse 2. The second point is when preaching to others, seek God. See, when Paul had gone through the ringer in Philippi, which actually you can read in Acts 16. If you want to know more about that, check out Acts 16, where he's in Philippi. Like he had gone through so much turmoil and conflict, and now he finds himself talking to the Thessalonians. But the conflict didn't stop. Like there was even conflict in Thessalonica as he's talking to them, right? Like the conflict was always there, but what does it say that got him through the conflict, When it came to preaching the good news of God to the Thessalonians, he said that he had boldness in God. And I want you to know the difference. Paul didn't say that he had boldness from God. He says he had boldness in God. And there is a difference. There are two different Greek words that can be used there. And the one chosen was that his boldness was in God. So when he says that, he's not saying it came from some external source. That it, he's not saying that it was just some power-up, right? Paul wasn't like Mario running across the screen, hitting a red mushroom and becoming Super Mario all of a sudden. Like This wasn't some external bite of food that he took, and all of a sudden he had boldness. It wasn't this bite of food that he had. The boldness that he has in God came from his relationship with God. Because when scripture says in God or in Christ, it means in relationship, because of relationship with. The boldness wasn't this piece of food, the boldness is more like like a feeding tube, it's personal. It's part of you. It's sustaining you. And the effect of it, you may not realize immediately. But it's something that consistently gives you sustenance. And it's something that, looking back on later, you can definitely see how it is working, even if you don't feel it in the moment. Like, that's boldness that comes from God. It it draws from within. So when preaching to others, and I say, seek God, I mean, literally, seek your relationship with him. Yeah, you could just head, like, head first into a conversation about God with others. And you can just be like, you know what? God's got it. He'll give me the words to say. But you know what? That's not actually trusting in God. That's trusting in your own power and arrogance to think like, oh, I don't need to, I don't need to prepare for this. I don't need to pray for it. I got this. Now, God can do anything, right? God may give you the words to speak in that moment. Of course he could. But isn't it better to be a good steward and seek the Lord first? I mean, even just for a second. You're heading into a lunch with some friends. You're like, you know what? This might come up. This might be my chance. Lord, just remind me of my relationship with you. Just remind me of who you are. Give me that boldness, right? The boldness comes from the relationship we have with the Lord. And the thing that you need to know is that the deeper your relationship is with the Lord, the greater your boldness will be. The more in relationship you are with him, the more boldness will be found in him. So when preaching to others, seek God, ask for his guidance. We talked last week about how the Holy Spirit gives joy. That's not the only thing the Holy Spirit gives. That's not the only thing the Holy Spirit works in you with. All right, third thing. We we just got just four. We're on the third when it comes to preaching to others, check your heart. Now this point, this comes from two different parts of this passage, right? Like I'm grabbing this from verse 3 and verses 5 and 6. We're going to set verse 4 aside and we're going to come back to it in just a minute, okay? But verses 3 and 5 and 6, after talking about the boldness he had in God, Paul says, for our appeal, meaning like his preaching to the gospel to them, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. So what's your intention when you speak to others about God? What's your intention when you share the gospel? Is it any of the things that Paul talks about here? Like, is it out of error? Meaning like, are you mistaken about the gospel? And so you're speaking to them out of being mistaken about the gospel. Now, this one's sort of hard to do, I think, um, especially nowadays when the gospel is so well known. And I pray that if you're coming to this church, you know exactly what the gospel is. But the way this plays out is, let's say you believe in the prosperity gospel. You believe in God so that you will be prosperous. And you believe that that's what God does, is prosper you because you believe in him. Now if I'm preaching to somebody because I want them to be prosperous, because that's what God does, I am preaching out of error, right? Because I am misunderstanding what the gospel is about. So it is possible. So always check your heart. Always check your intentions. Is this true? Is this what I know to be true? Is this what those around me tell me is true? So that's the error part, but but it's more than just that, because what does he say? He says that it's possible to preach to people with an attempt to deceive. Like, do you, when you speak to others about God, do you do it out of a spirit of deception? Like, are you saying whatever it takes to get them to believe, even if it's not true? Are you glossing over all the hard things about the gospel and only telling them the easy things? hoping that they'll come to it and they'll find out the hard things later. Are you being deceptive when you speak to others about the gospel? Are you hiding parts of yourself just to speak to them? Because you can speak the gospel in a spirit of deception. Are you doing it to add to your cause? I mean, the radical form of this is like, the, the conquistadors, the, the conquerors, right? the Spanish conquerors that came into the Americas and to the Mayan people and to the Native Americans, they converted them to Christianity. But why did they do it? They did it so that they would comply. They did it so that they would be easier to subdue. They did it so that they would pay taxes and that they would respect the king. They did it for all these reasons that were not saving their soul. They brought them to Christ because it was easier for them. And how many of you wish people would come to Christ because it would make your life easier? Man, I wish my sister would come to Christ because it'd be a lot easier to deal with a Christian than a non Christian. And that's my main motivation for speaking to her. What if the people in your dorm rooms, that's why you talk to them about Christ, because your dorm life would be a lot easier if y'all were just believers? It's a major motivation that we can let slip in. And our motivation all of a sudden is to make our lives easier and to have them fit with what we think a lifestyle is rather than saving their soul. So is that how you approach people when it comes to speaking about the gospel? Verses 5 and 6, he says that he didn't do it out of pretext for greed, And he says that they didn't seek glory from people. And that's the last one I want to hit on, like, do you do this? Check your heart on these things. Like, do you preach the gospel out of greed? We already talked about this. The the hope to gain something from it. But the one we haven't talked about yet is, do you preach the gospel for self-glory? Do you preach it so that people will see you as devout? So people will see you as holy, see you as pure. People will speak well of you. Well, guess what? If you're recruiting people to speak about you, that's not the gospel. We see it all the time. Pastors fall every single year. Famous pastors fall because at some point they gave in to the lie that they were important and that people were being recruited to them. But it happens everywhere and every single one of us is guilty of it. It's not a sin that's exclusive to anybody. So, do you preach the gospel for self-glory? All that, all those to say, check your heart, right? When preaching the gospel to others, check your heart. And the last one that we're ending with tonight is when preaching to others, please God. Please God. We see it in verse four. I told you we'd say verse four till the end, right? Here we are, verse four. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, the good news, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Check your heart because God already is. That's what that says right there. God is a God who tests your heart. So the question is, are you going to be found faithful or not? God is testing Are you going to be found as somebody that is seeking to glorify him in the gospel or glorify yourself? That's why the last point is to please him. That's your motivation. You do it to save somebody's soul and to please God because he saved you and he calls you to go and preach to others. Paul says that the gospel was entrusted to them, right? If you are a believer... If you are a Christian, the gospel is entrusted to you as well. So the question is, with it being entrusted to you, are you going to please God through it? Are you going to seek God through it? Are you going to do it for his glory? Are you going to do it with the right intentions? Are you going to do it with boldness that comes from him and your relationship with him? So I know I threw a lot at you. I say it every time. I feel like it's just a fire hose of stuff that I'm giving you, right? I'm excited, though, because this week we were talking about preaching to others, but next week is discipling others. Like these go hand in hand. He first talks about preaching to them, and then he talks about living life with them. So next week we get to talk about what it looks like for an apostle to live life with people and how we can be doing that. So this is like part one and part two, pretty much. I hit you hard on what you're saying to people, but next week we get to talk about what it looks like to live alongside people, which is just as important. All right, in just a minute I'm going to pray and close this up. Just remember the gospel. Remember the story that we talked about at the beginning. And when I'm done, let that inform your worship as we sing. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word. Father, I know I threw a lot at them. I know that... um, It's a lot of things to just be constantly checked on, but I thank you that that's what your word does. And I thank you that your word is not wasted, Lord. It's not wasted. It doesn't return void. And I know that there are so many things that you have for us in your word, even just what we covered. Lord, may we continue to learn from it, not just from tonight. And now as we sing, would you inform our hearts, Lord, of why we sing and why it's good news and the good news that we are singing about. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.